Welcome to Strike Up the Conversation on Post Show Recaps, a podcast bringing you coverage of the labor disputes continuing to happen now in television and film. I'm Dr. Amanda, and I am your host for these conversations. Today, I am joined by a fantastic guest, Molly Shock, who will be bringing us into the world of unscripted television, talking about the issues involved in that labor market. But before we get to that, um, just a reminder, please subscribe and rate the podcast. That really helps people find us. You can do that by using our RSS feed to to subscribe to postshowrecaps.com slash strike when you search by URL, or you can also just search for postshowrecaps strike. Um, that's postshowrecaps.com slash strike when you search by URL on your podcast player of choice. Um, also, please do rate and review if you are so inclined. And as always, you can submit any questions to me or topics that you're interested in hearing more about by going to postshowrecaps.com slash strike FAQ. So without any further ado, I will bring in my guest, Molly Shock. She has been a television editor for over 30 years, currently serving in her eighth year as picture editor representative of the MPEG 700 Board of Directors. She is a fierce union activist, especially in the unscripted field, and she was part of the editorial teams that flipped Swamp People in 2013 and Survivor in 2014. Uh, She's a seven-time Emmy, Eddie-nominated loser, a member of the (laughs) ATAS, the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences Editor Peer Group, and she's been a member of the American Cinema Editors since 2015. Uh, welcome to the show, Molly. We're so happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. Wow, hearing that all at once makes me sound pretty awesome. <laughs> you you sound incredibly awesome. I mean, um, uh, Molly and I were talking a little bit before I um, we started recording today. Um, you know, Molly uh, is part of, um, has been editing unscripted uh, television for a long time with lots of shows that I know our listeners are very interested in. You know, Post Show Recaps is listenership overlaps heavily with our sister network. Rob has a podcast which covers all things reality. So I happen to know that a lot of our listeners are going to be very, very familiar with your work, uh, reality TV enthusiasts. And it's, um, it's, it's, I'm really, really excited about having this conversation and learning more about everything that goes into producing these shows that we love. Thank you so much. I'm really excited for the opportunity to talk. And yeah, and also I'm a, I'm an RHAP listener since pretty much episode one of uh, Heroes versus Villains. Um, you know, I'm a, uh, you know, I've been a patron. I've been at the, the live shows. I'm friends. I've did a podcast with Rob forever ago, just talking about how, what it is to edit, what it's like to edit unscripted. So it's nice to be back talking about um, the importance that um, union representation really needs to hold in the unscripted world. Uh, well, that's great. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing more about that. And I do just want to at top sort of uh, give an update on the status of the entertainment strikes that we've been covering here on Strike Up the Conversation. Today, we are recording on Saturday, October 21st, which is the 100-day mark for the SAG-AFTRA strike. Um, this is the longest uh, time that 
SAG after that that union has been on strike in its history. And it's not clear that we are uh, anywhere closer to the end than we were a week ago. Um, as uh, listeners would know, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers suspended negotiations on October 11th. Um, there's been no sign and no gestures yet signifying that they might return to the bargaining table soon. Um, yet Duncan Crabtree, Ireland, the union's chief negotiator, said the 100-day milestone is a reminder of how little substantive negotiation has taken place since the strike began. Um, you know, last time I was here with my guest Ariel, we were talking about how the big win for the WGA seemed to suggest some hope that SAG-AFTRA negotiations were going to start to proceed in earnest, but that yet has not come to pass. Um, so, you know, we're just following the news like everybody else is. Uh, the other significant development here is um, people might have seen Headlines, George Clooney, along with some other uh, Hollywood A-listers like Ben Affleck, Emma Stone, Scarlett Johansson, Tyler Perry, um, met with uh, SAG-AFTRA to suggest a possible alternative solution that would not involve negotiations with the AMPTP as a way of ending the strike. In particular, uh, these Hollywood stars were offering that if the $1 million cap on union membership dues were suspended, then highest earners in the business could contribute more in an attempt to sort of uh, make contributions to benefit programs, to retirement funds, um, and also um, and, uh, and healthcare, healthcare savings accounts, um, and then also uh, find a way to provide health benefits and then also reformulate how actors earn streaming residuals in a model that would have the highest earners in, in Hollywood sort of offset the cost for the lowest earners. Um, basically, it's the response from Fran Drescher, the sag after president, was, um, you know, this is a very, very nice gesture. She explained all this on her Instagram page, but this is um, not really directly addressing what workers are striking for. And as a federally regulated labor union, the only contributions that can go into pensions and health plans must be from the employer. So um, it seems like this is not going to be a viable solution to move forward. Um, could this represent some fracturing in the guild. I don't think so. I think that this is, you know, George Clooney has been a real pretty strong voice in favor of the strike all along. I think he's just trying to do whatever he can to help his fellow actors who are in a less fortunate position than he. But um, here we go. It's going to really have to come from the AMPTP if there's going to be any any break in the strike. Yeah, it's um, it's it's awful. It's scary. And I'm I'm in a very privileged position um, because I work in unscripted and I a, am not working under any of the contracts that are currently under strike. I work mm -hmm. under not only IATSE, but um, what's called the videotape agreement. That's not even the basic agreement that most people work under. Mm -hmm. And again, because I work in unscripted and I asked, I, I was curious about this because like um, when the strike first happened back in May, um, I was editing um, MasterChef and we have uh, judges, Gordon Ramsay, Aron Sanchez. And I, I think that, that 
because they're appearing mm-hmm. uh, in some form, I was wondering like, well, are they, are they covered by a SAG or, or, you know, how does that work for them? Or, you know, these panel shows like um, RuPaul's Drag Race or American right. Got Talent. So there is a different contract that affects people actors who who appear as like judges or themselves or something like that but it's um it's tricky and those are also coming up for negotiation too so back to it's it's i know how nervous and tense and you know finances get tight and i'm one of the lucky ones that's working i have friends that literally haven't worked in a year because they are scripted editors Mm -hmm. and either they just had wrapped the show and weren't able to get on something before things ramped up um, and then, then there's just nothing right now. I've had so many scripted editors say like, Hey, if you've got any unscripted shows, I'll, I'd be yeah. happy to learn how to do that, which is, I, I understand that, but it's also a little bit, uh, frustrating. Cause, um, another thing I'm a very fierce advocate for is just the, the power and the, that, uh, unscripted television can be in storytelling. And we kind of have this, this mm-hmm. rep like that of like, Oh, well that, that, that's, um, you know, entertainment for the masses it's not really mm-hmm. art or anything mm-hmm. and um it's a it's a very very special skill set I mean I know editors that can do both certainly but it is it is they're not one for one um uh, oh I'll just pick that up because that looks easy it's it's right not. um anyway um no it's it, it's a uh, it's a great point and I think a lot of stuff came up in um in your response there Molly that I want to get into um in more depth and like the first one is just um thinking about the reality TV world versus the scripted world and and you mentioned when the strike first uh started in in May and that was when the writers went on strike and the actors joined them in June um there even there's a lot of confusion I think among the viewership but also even we saw this play out a little bit in the workers themselves over like, okay, well, it is this something that's covered under the strike versus is this something that's not covered? And like you said, you know, when you think about somebody like um, these on-screen personalities in one capacity, they might be in a SAG covered role, but in another capacity, they might not be. So in the world of reality, first of all, like, is there a, um, basic definition that sort of covers what is reality and what is unscripted like how where do those boundaries even lie I mean like everybody and myself included have tried to because we want to explain and and to explain you Mm -hmm. want to label and it makes it easier to understand and I've tried to kind of uh talk about different types of unscripted life right um you could have a shiny floor show which would be like your um um, mass singer uh, america's got talent Mm -hmm. um the voice um then you would have like your um process shows your um project runway or master chef or top chef then you have your field competition shows like amazing race or the challenge or survivor then you have um docu follow shows like naked and afraid or deadliest Mm. catch then you have docu soaps which are your housewives and your kardashians um then there's purely documentaries um there's news documentaries there's Mm -hmm. you know true crime documentaries um there's um things like um how did this get made or um the movies that made us that are a little more kind of light and fun and 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 hearken a little bit more to what my roots are in like clip shows Mm -hmm. um so 
the, and the more you try to define it, the more you find exceptions. And then you have so many definitions that it's lost all meaning. Right. Like, like for example, um, I edited um, a season of um, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star season four, and there's always a challenge. There's like an acting challenge. Well, that's scripted and that's acting mm-hmm. and that was written, but you have to, so, you know, there's just a lot of lines that get blurred. So I don't have a great answer for you uh, as mm-hmm. far as like what the differences are, but I, I, it is so union stuff is so complicated. I mean, just to just to like even back up another step. Yeah, I'm a member of M- MPEG, which is Motion Picture Editors Guild. I'm an editor. However, just and that's MPEG 700. Uh, MPEG represents like 24 different classifications. That could be colorists, libraries, foley artists, um, mm-hmm. you know, scoring people, technical directors. So even the idea of that you're in the editor's guild is a little bit, um, you don't get the full picture at all. Mm-hmm. Then you have the, the Hollywood locals. There's that there's, um, uh, Oh my God, I'm going to blank. There's, um, there's a number of Hollywood locals, which are, you know, 600 is camera and there's, and there's props and um, grips and costumers mm-hmm. and hair and makeup. So each of those have their own local, so that's kind of the Hollywood local. And I don't know if you remember about two years ago, there was a concern that IATSE was going to go on strike in Hollywood. And it mm-hmm. would have been just those locals because IATSE is an international organization. Right. They also cover, um, you know, well, Canada is the international and, and, and mm-hmm. with a few other exceptions. But that's also Broadway and yeah. roadies and, you know, local right. community theaters. So it each person has I mean what I need as an editor in my union contract is totally different than what a, a stagehand yeah putting up a light gig you know in Kansas City for Aerosmith needs so um it gets very complicated and very confusing and a lot of overlap um so it's I, I can't give a, a nice clean succinct mm-hmm. answer other than you've got to pay attention to like when you sign onto a show whatever like what contract are you under and our editors guild, we, we have a, um, a part on our website where you can kind of get like the cliff notes version of like, this is, this is the contract, whether it's a majors, a low tier, a high budget, a videotape. So again, there's all these different contracts just within our own, um, guild. So mm-hmm. it's, um, I'm not really answering the questions other than to say that it's complicated. It's compl- I mean, it seems really complicated and, you know, and we, and we start to get like a little bit of a sense of what those fault lines are when we saw, you know, like um, I mean, I remember that um, there was a when Dancing with the Stars was starting to film, and the Matt uh, Walsh. right, and the writers were still on strike, right, and Matt Walsh got a lot of blowback for crossing the picket line, and you know, there's a question from the you know from you know fans like me. I've been a longtime fan of Matt Walsh. Like, okay, well, is this confusing or was this something that they knowingly did? And I, and it does seem very like it's you know like it's a bit of a minefield to you know that 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 some of these shows are covered by different unions some of these roles might have union protections whereas others do not on the same show back in back even in, in 2021 when i we'd, we'd taken a strike authorization vote and we got like a 97 percent authorization um and then it was are we going to go on strike or not we would have we would have gone on strike on monday Friday, I was uh, at the time I was editing uh, Flores Lava, and I was fielding like hundreds of questions from people um, because a show like The Voice, even though it's IATSE, it's a different contract. So mm. if if we had struck 
and I'm, I, I hope I'm speaking correctly, but this is a this is an applicable scenario. Maybe I'm getting the names wrong. Mm-hmm. Where I was on a show that if we struck, we weren't going to show up on Monday, but a show like The Voice would have continued to work. So even though it's the same kind of work we're doing, unscripted, yes. whatever, they have a very different contract, and it, it was like this weird carve out that they would have had to keep working. And so, you know, I've, I've been on the board of directors for the Editors Guild for eight years. And if I don't know, I can only imagine what, oh, yeah. you know, you know, anyone else doesn't know. So it's, it's a lot to keep track of. I have a tremendous amount of respect for um, our leadership at uh, Editors Guild. It's uh, we have a uh, Kathy Rapola is our uh, national executive director. Um, and Scott George is her uh, uh, second in command, plus all the, the staff there is amazing. Mm-hmm. And the field reps, we definitely, you know, we, we have over 9,000 members and we, we certainly could use more um, uh, 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 field reps and being able to help answer all these questions. We tend to grow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a pretty vast landscape out there. Um, and I'd love to give our listeners a little bit of a clearer understanding of that. So um, could you speak, Molly, to what the different roles are that are involved in bringing one of these unscripted shows um, to screen. And I know that you've worked on, you were kind of giving that wonderful taxonomy of the different types of unscripted shows. And I know that it's even more complicated than that, but you've, you've worked on a lot of different examples of those sub genres, right? So you've worked on Survivor, you've worked on Master Chef, um, you've worked on like you, you know more of these. I know these kind of um, docu uh, docu follow like docu naked follow. Afraid. exactly. Mm-hmm. So so um, tell tell us a little bit about you know we see what's in front of the camera. What else is all going on behind the camera and in post production to bring those shows to light? So they're the they all follow a basic structure in that there's pre-production done in that producers and camera and location and casting, they have a general expectation of what they want, whether that's survivor when they're building the challenges or whether Mm -hmm. that is um, naked and afraid and they're deciding, you know, what kind of different people to pair up or it's, you know, um, you know, a big brother when they're trying to like, well, who's going to push each other's buttons, you know, who mm-hmm. are we going to cast? So there's, there's a lot of pre-production that is, okay, this, we kind of expect something to happen if we put all these ingredients into this pot, mm-hmm. then production happens. And there are um, what I call field producers. They call themselves field producers too. So, but um, they are there watching everything that happens every day and they're taking detailed notes and they'll have meetings um, of like, um, oh, it sounds like, you know, something's kind of developing like a strategy between these two people. Make sure when we interview them, we ask about that. So mm-hmm. everyone's kind of keeping tabs on where things could go or how did you react to that thing happening? Um, if there's a rivalry, but, you know, between two chefs on, on uh, MasterChef or, or um RuPaul's Drag Race, if there's, you know, it's an all-star seasons and you know there's bad blood between two queens, you know, you, you're, the field is there taking notes, what is actually happening now? And mm-hmm. how do we document it, make sure it's covered in the field, um, make sure we ask the right interview questions so that we have the interview bites to, to get everything. Then there will be post-producers 
who, and, and if you're lucky, you'll get field producers working with the post producers and it, they just kind of move and, it, you know, indoors. Um, and they look at the big picture and they're like, wow, this was a really cool storyline, but it didn't end up going anywhere. We're not going to tell that. Or like, mm-hmm. um, like, oh, this turned out to be something really, this is going to, we're going to, this is going to be great, but we have, it didn't really show up until the last episode. So we have to look for things we can seed in the first half of the season so it makes sense when it pays mm-hmm. off later. So they kind of like, they'll track out on, on like three by five cards, like what what an episode will look like. And they'll have literally multiple bulletin boards in a huge conference room that will be, here's episode one, here's episode two. And then maybe you move cards around uh, depending on if it's, if it's a show like a, like, a, like a housewife show or something where it's like competition shows are harder to do that with because you've lost people and you know that yeah. person isn't, you can't just have somebody pop back in that was eliminated four episodes mm-hmm. ago but you can like move storylines like oh instead of them going to the birthday party we're gonna have them instead that's when they're gonna remodel the house and that's why they're gonna have the fight at the birthday party because you know so there's yeah. a lot of so that's all the producers the story producers the 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 um supervising producers so they're sort of crafting that narrative structure that's going to pull through the this the show yeah right then the editors are brought in (coughs) excuse me and now you you've been given usually a string out uh usually you get like a you'll get like a pod or or a scene or an act depending on what kind of show it is like Mm -hmm. uh, like for example on survivor (coughs) they'll have editors that only do challenges or only do tribal councils Mm -hmm. um and so you like for the last couple of seasons on MasterChef, I tend to do a lot of the judging and the eliminations and the, you know, heartfelt goodbye packages. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss doing the cooks, but it also, you know, it's, it's the um, Henry Ford model of assembling a show. Uh-huh. You, know, you know, there's so many moving parts. If, if your brain is kind of honed on, ah, I've used that cue a lot. Let me use something else. As opposed mm-hmm. to someone else like that cue is awesome. We'll just keep using that. Like, you know, it's, Anyway, um, so the editors come in and now we're actually does this work as a visual thing with musical underneath it. And I've got cutaway images and bites that support it. That is that is telling a coherent story. Um, and sometimes, you, you know, when I come in to, to, to my first day, I just watch the string out. Um, it's a very rough like like let's say the act's going to be 10 minutes. Maybe the string out's. 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's very clunky, very rough. Um, but you still will see those those moments that I think that are the reason we all love reality television. You'll see that thing that happened like, oh my God, they really said that at that moment. And so now I got to figure out how to shine a spotlight on that neat moment and not just have it wash over because you've had too much sound or, or something else was going on. Um, but like, I, I see what I respond to and mm-hmm. if I'm not responding to any of it or I'm, or my response is like, I'm so bored right now, I'll dig in a little bit more and say, is there something more interesting? Why am I watching this? How does it relate to what I just saw? Is it, um, so there's a, there's a lot of that, uh, going on and there's a lot of great dialogue and collaboration with other editors, um, and the story producers as far as, um, this isn't really working. Can you find me something better? Like I'm, right. I, 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 I was just editing a scene where a person, I, I, the show hasn't aired yet, so I'm not going to say what okay. or, or who, but um, a person is leaving the scene and it's like, wow, I can't believe that happened. That was crazy. 
And I'm like, well, that's really kind of flat. But when they're leaving the scene, they're back to the camera. So I put a call out to my story producer. I'm like, can you just find anything else of like, I can't believe that happened. But and and then mm-hmm. so, something more to em, emotional or funny or whatever, because you want to punch up those those beats. You know, I mean, we all know that no one's here to make friends. We all know that <laughs> yeah. this that this is the the hardest challenge we've ever done. We all yeah. know, you know. So I, I want to get new information. I want to mm-hmm. get new emotion or what is what makes this person interesting, this experience interesting for them. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it, there's a lot of back and forth on that. Usually, it'll take about, depending on how many editors on. I'm on a show right now that is a fairly tight schedule. I'm the, at the moment, I'm the only editor on the episode, which is unusual. Uh, usually, we're in teams of like you know two to five editors, um, and we would get a rough cut done in three weeks. I'm the only editor on this, and I'm supposed to have a finished show in eight weeks and that's a bit of a haul. So I'm hoping yeah. that I'll, I'll get a little help, but that's, and then there's rounds of notes. You could put it together. You have your story producers, your first person you collaborate with because they are so into it. Then you'll show it to the supervising producer who's watching every episode and they can be going, Ooh, you know what? You haven't seen anything in this episode that's coming right before that, but you know what? If this, ha- this thing happened, so you would, this would be a great time to, have a check-in with that person because like you yeah there's so much material you cannot focus on the whole season that's why um sometimes sometimes scripted editors don't understand why we have such large teams because like well I cut you know a scripted editor I cut a two-hour movie all by myself why do you need a Mm -hmm. team of 12 editors to cut television and it's because we have so much material to go through and we're writing. We have so many options. It's not just 20 takes of the same mm-hmm. line over and over. Um, it's different parts of a conversation from different days and finding little fragments. Yeah. And you're, you're cutting the statue out of the raw block of Marvel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They're starting with what the statue is supposed to look like and you have to kind of find that and yeah. then craft the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the marble splits down the middle and we're like, okay, let's make it two. <laughs> um, and, and for anyone that's, that, that um, says like, well, you made them say that like, well, I cleaned up with their intent. I, you know, I, I try very, very hard as a personal thing, unless, you know, under extreme duress, I don't put words in people's mouths that they wouldn't have said. I just made them say it in a much more efficient way mm-hmm. as opposed to ums and ahs and, and past tense and, you know, right. or whatever. Um, or I might have an interview by where they're talking about, um, you know, like, Oh, I really hate her, but I don't know who her is. So I've got to put in, you know, who, who her is. Mm-hmm. And I've got to find it in a, way that said that they matches tone and pace and energy. So there's a lot of little yeah. fussiness going on, but mm-hmm. I, I, I try very, very hard. And I may, I mean, emotions are complicated. So, you know, a, a contestant may say, um, well, you, you, like you only focused on the bad part. Um, you didn't focus on the good. I'm like, well, yeah, I could mitigate, you know, some stuff, but that is not a clean story for the audience to follow. Emotions are complicated. Mm-hmm. I have this, I have this example I like to give. When um, I used to edit Swamp People, there was um, a scene. Swamp People is a show about people that hunt alligators. And there was a scene where uh, the the star of the show, Troy Landry, was pulling up on a, they have like these ropes that are hanging with bait for alligators to snap. And then if the hook's down, they know that 
they're, they're mm-hmm. my alligator. I'm like, and um, there's a narrator that comes in over the, the scene that says, you know, Troy's nervous as he rolls up on this line. Now, in the previous scene, uh, Troy ran into some other uh, uh, hunters and they made a bet for, for overall for the season. Who's going to catch the biggest alligator? In a previous scene to that, other hunters had had their lines poached. There's poachers going on. Because what happened was is that over the course of the month, when they are filming the entire season, different hunters got poached at different times. And we just took all those poached episode moments and made this like, oh, there's a rash of poachers going mm-hmm, around. Mm-hmm. So Troy is also hunting with his youngest son, who is not very inexperienced. And later in the season, Troy is going to have a back injury. So when Troy rolls up on this line and he's nervous, is he nervous because did he get poached? Is his is this going to be a dangerous situation where his youngest son could get injured? Is it something where he could get injured because he's Mm -hmm. worried about his back? Is it because he wants to win the bet or is it because there's just a big alligator on the end of the line? Like all of that is true. Yeah. What story am I telling at what point that makes sense for the audience, for the show, for the character? So there's a there's a lot of sculpting and and, um, fine tuning. And again, we really, really rely on our story producers and our supervising producers who can see the the, the God's eye view of the season of what's what's the best story to tell here. I just talked for a really long time. Yeah, no, (laughs) it's great to hear your perspective on this, Molly, because a lot of us in the reality TV fandom, I mean, edit is one of our favorite things to speculate about, right? It's like, oh, this person looked good because of the edit. This person looked bad because of the edit. The edit hid this important thing or the edit made this look like it happened in a way that it didn't. And and we love to, to speculate because, you know, we have too much time on our hands. So it's great to hear from the perspective of an editor is, you know, there's a reason that you make these choices and that, you know, telling this story that's going to read to the TV audience um, in a way that you also feel like faithfully portrays what people would say and how they would behave, even if it's a somewhat, um, you know, flattened version for the television product is, is, you know, these are some of the many, many considerations in mind. And also that no one editor really has like the full scope or power to manipulate something sort of over the course of a whole Mm -hmm. season because of just how many players are involved and how large that task is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, sure. There's, I mean, they'll always be the contestant, like, especially uh, last season on MasterChef, there was this one contestant, uh, Colby, uh, Colby, who I adored. He gave the best facial reactions, just like, like, you know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, rolling the eyes or, or, you know, yeah. And, you know, I was bummed when I, because I knew that, you know, I couldn't go to him all the time because like, then I'm not telling anybody else's story, but he was so entertaining just, just for me to watch. Yeah. So we had to be very careful when we used him because he, he, he was a kind of like a, a upper middle person. He's only made it like six or seven, or, or he made it to like six or seven. He mm-hmm. did very well. And he was a very popular person, but he ultimately wasn't going to be in the finale. And so and didn't really, and everyone loved him. And so it wasn't like I could show like he was jealous that someone got a good reaction, but he was just so entertaining to watch. Like, and you yeah. couldn't help but cut to him. So, um, yeah, it's, it, there's a lot of, I do love listening when people have like, oh, the editors did this. So I think it's very, this is a little sidebar. And yeah. it's a, I'll, I'll try to tell this as a nice clean edit if you want to lift it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the first reality shows I edited was Girls Next Door. 
And currently there's a new podcast called Girls Next Level. Uh, Girls Next Door was the show with uh, Hugh Hefner and three of his girlfriends, mm. Holly, Bridget, and Kendra. And um, I love that show. I had such an affinity and affection for um, for that show. And especially for Holly and Bridget, I kind of identified with them in my own way. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's complicated feelings now looking back, you know, 15, 20 years later of what that show was kind of about. Yeah. Um, and so it's very lis- interesting listening to uh, Holly and Bridget do a rewatch of this and commenting on the editing. Uh-huh. Um, and I, and I can kind of remember like, I didn't do that or I did, I definitely did that. And like, Oh, that that's yeah, that's bad on me. Or I'll watch the show. I'm like, Oh, I would never make that choice now. Cause it was just, we were all learning. We didn't know it was like 2006. So, wow. You know. So anyway, so um, interesting. Um, so, so that was that was a great description of the whole workflow that's involved in uh, in these reality productions. Um, so, who? So now I want to get into like what how union protections figure into that labor force. Who in that workflow is uh, protected by unions? What unions do they belong to? And is anybody left out in that pipeline? Yes. So. Um, Currently, um, unscripted editing would be editors, assistant editors, and loggers. We desperately want to get more story producers in because story producers are the ones that are kind of assembling the, the, the string outs mm-hmm. of the, these, these first, uh, you know, versions that we see, mm-hmm. basically a rough draft of what the act is. Um, there is a mechanic within the Editors Guild right now that story producers can join. Um, under the videotape agreement, there is there are only two classifications that can join. One is editor and one is other technical personnel. Mm. Assistant editors and loggers join as other technical right. personnel. And, and, no lo- reason- and loggers, just for our audience, those are the people who actually they 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 watch and tag and 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 sort of categorize all of the raw footage. Correct. Because like, for example, if something great happened in the field, the field producer might be making a note like there was this great fight, such and such and such. Then the logger watches the tape. If it's not there, it didn't happen. So Mm -hmm. like we we have it's kind of like, you know, uh, having the receipts. And so, you know, you know, what did you actually see if somebody found an idol? Yes, this person found it here or, Mm -hmm. you know, so so it it, it logs it that way. so it, just back to, so sto- story producers can join the union and a very few have under other technical personnel. The problem is, of course, there aren't a lot of shows that offer that as a, first of all, there aren't a lot of shows that offer union protections even for post-production. Then uh, that they would offer it, I, I, this is truly a rough number I'm pulling out of the ether. I would say of all the different shows you see out there, documentaries and 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 uh, housewife shows and all that stuff, I'd say maybe 15% are covered by a union contract. None of the housewife shows are under union contract. Um, Survivor was not covered by a union contract until 2014, uh, uh, four, which, yeah. which was season 29. Amazing Race just signed union contracts a month ago. And the fact that Survivor and Amazing Race were on CBS, same network, nothing different between them for a decade, basically. One was covered by union protection, one was not. Only came down to you have to ask the contract. 
and the editors were concerned of, you know, there's politics and um, fear of job security or like, oh, I like the show. I don't want to rock the boat. But ultimately, you've got to realize, especially I think the fact that the strikes are happening now, people are realizing, you know, it is it's ridiculous that we do the same kind of work that is covered by by union contracts. Why shouldn't we earn health care and pension and have protection of not being worked you know, 21 days in a row, 16 hour shifts, um, you know, no overtime, no, um, you know, seventh day uh, uh, term, it's called turnaround, which is like Mm. when you, you need to have a minimum of time from the time you stop working until the time they can make you work again. So if they make you work till one in the morning, you don't have to there at 9am. Yeah, we've talked about this with some of our other union uh, members in in, in SAG-AFTRA. We've talked, we, we, we spoke to um, actors, we've talked to background performers and about the importance of um, having that turn up because it's, it's a safety hazard and it's a health hazard to be expected to uh, leave work and then report back to work without enough time to have have to to sleep to you know let alone anything else and then you factor in also like that's not that's not like you get off work and you fall asleep and then you're back you have to you have to like get off the lot Mm -hmm. drive home go through your mail feed your dog do throw a load of laundry in uh pay a bill right get get sleep get showered get changed and then drive back it is it is it is not a 10 hour turn is, is pushing it for like that. That would be like, a, a, I think an extreme case, but like some places only have eight hour turnaround and it's like, that's, that's, yeah. that's not, not enough. So, so but, Molly, this is actually like a pretty substantial asymmetry between the scripted and the unscripted world. It sounds like in terms of the proportion of shows that are covered under union contracts. Definitely. Definitely. And, and, and part of that is again, because unscripted kind of, as we understand it, uh, there's always been elements of unscripted in, in television history, uh, um, whether it was, you know, the real world or um, mm-hmm. very, but, but unscripted as the, the, we know it basically came on the scene in 2000 with Survivor. And then the next summer was like Amazing Race, Big Brother, you know, Who Wants to Marry a Millionaire and all you mm-hmm. know, Fear Factor and all that stuff. Um, and because these shows and that, and those happened right around the same time that non-linear editing systems like Avid and uh, Final Cut came on the market because it used to be you you would have when linear editing is like you you might have 20 videotapes of all your various takes of things but you start with the first edit and then you pop your tape out and then you edit cut the very next edit and then you cut the very next edit and it would have to go in line film you could like maybe break it apart and drop something in but it makes sense as you're going through like a film strip you're like literally like mm. taking one right after the other non-linear digital you know we all know what that is you can pick things up move it around mm-hmm. you can go through you can you can just have so much more flexibility with making changes what you can do with the media um who can manipulate it whether it's you know a graphics person um or you know sound person or picture editor i mean that, that's something that i always laugh at is like I am technically a picture editor by classification in the editor's guild, but I do music. I do sound effects. Mm. I do dialogue. I do everything. But in scripted, they have a whole, I mean, sound is a whole magical kingdom to me, but you have an entire team of music editor and that means of sound editors, of dialogue editors, sound effect, 
Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just me. I've, I've recorded scratch voiceover that has gone on the air. Like if I, if it leaves (laughs) my, if it leaves my hand, I have to assume that it's possible it could go on the air like this. So it, it, 2000 really empowered the editor as really having a lot of control and say in creativity. Mm-hmm. Now it's faster and cheaper, which means it's easier just to, sh- Oh, I'm going to shoot something for two weeks and then make a show out of it. It's not like when you do that, you send up a bat signal to the union saying, hi, I'm doing a show. Like they want to get it in under the wire and do it as cheap as possible. And so all this kind of cheap programming groundswell started becoming the norm and the, right. a lot of, I don't want to say bad habits, but um, a lot of uh, habits that are contrary to what a scripted editor's workflow would be mm-hmm. came into play. This It's really interesting. I just want to draw a parallel about like, you know, so this is still, we're still in the relative infancy, I would say of this like mm-hmm. reality TV world. When you think about 2000, you know, being, you know, 23 years ago at this point. Um, But the proliferation of reality has just really accelerated. And it seems a little bit like the way um, streaming content sort of tried to sneak under the radar and a lot of things that, um, you know, because at first when I think when the unions first started to talk about what to do about streaming, it was really like it was YouTube and it was web series. And do we really need? How do we monetize this? We There's no way to tell. Um, so, I mean, and, and, and I think that this is a little bit of a broader labor story that when a new innovation or something comes, that disrupts the industry in some way, um, you know, they're going to try to move fast, do it cheaply. And the best way to save money is always to cut the cost of labor. It's one of the reasons why AI is such a hard mm. line right now, because that is basically the new technology that could really wipe out a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some very impressive um, AI used for editing. Ah. And, it, and, and it is it is presented as a way to make your job easier. But I also can see the jobs that are going to get eliminated because of yeah. it. So it's, it's, it's a very, very, I, I, I want them to be incredibly uh, thoughtful as too kind of order. I, I want, it would be more strident, mm-hmm. but they want them to be very mindful of not giving in on, uh, on that. Yeah, I was going to ask about about AI because that's been such a, a hot issue in these negotiations with SAG-AFTRA and uh, the WGA with the AMPTP. But um, it sounds like, Molly, from what you're describing, is that there's still there's shows that are left out of union protections and that there's categories of workers that are vulnerable to not getting covered under union contracts. None of none of the post supers or post producers, the people that are like, you know, you know, that, you know, manage our schedules and and make sure we have all the the resources we need and the days we need. um, None of them are covered. Um, We're that we said we were trying and the WGA uh, is also got a campaign that we want. We want to get story producers into some union and it's it's hard because like the jobs that they're doing right now like creating a string out or finding bites for us or finding reactions for us is absolutely editorial they're on an avid or a premiere whatever and they are they are editing and they're they they know what they're doing and but that should be covered by union editors guild however 
these are people that this is not necessarily their end goal of what they want to do as a career. So if they jump to become a producer or something else, what happens to all that, you know, um, you know, pension or healthcare that they've mm. invested. And it's like, it doesn't, and it doesn't quite transfer, but it, so it, it's, it's, we, I'm absolutely sympathetic. I'm absolutely mindful. I absolutely want to find a solution because I have so mm-hmm. many friends and it breaks my heart how they always seem to get left out. Um, and I'm, I, I've been advocating for that for a very long time and I'm frustrated that it's, it's still not a thing that's happening, but I would, I personally, Molly Shock, please don't report me, uh, would love to see like um, a production house that does like a whole series of shows and then the entire, that the entire um, company could flip and take all the story producers in. So it's not just like Mm -hmm. a show to show thing. It's not just kind of like shooting, you know, um, whack-a-mole to to try and get all these various productions under contract. Because again, even if we get the story producers on this show, what are they going to go to? And, you know, dues aren't cheap, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I get it. So I, I, I'm very much aware that it's not a perfect solution. Um, and so I'm open to solutions. I wish, I wish there was like an umbrella that would allow you to kind of bridge or transfer from one to another. Right. Um, that's a, that's a design product design way above my pay grade, but I would love to see something like that. Yeah. Um, Cause one of the things that, you know, I was thinking when you're describing all of, all of these roles and all of the complexity is, you know, is in in some ways that complexity and that confusion makes it much harder for workers to you know come together and really leverage their collective bargaining power because people have different agreements or siloed in these different um, areas and that and that complexity in some ways you know benefits the bosses because divide and conquer is always sure. going to you know be an effective way of subverting the workers' power. I mean, also like. When I was on Swamp People, which is like a docu fellow show, um, when we flipped that, we flipped that, but it was just the field had already wrapped. So it was only the the post team that went on strike. Mm. We did that with the hope that the cameras and sound would then also get when they were brought back the next year, that they then would get wrapped up. And I'm, I, it's been so long and I didn't really know the specifics at the time, but we, I don't remember if like they automatically had to be under their own because they, they're not part of 700, 700 was what's striking camera is 600. So did they just get grandfathered in because we'd already done the work or did they have to ask for it as well? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, everyone's got different contracts. So it's not like, it's not like, um, that, that is why the, first progress in unionization of unscripted shows was done on shows like Project Runway because it was easy for the the, the field crew, like the lighting, the camera, the sound, the mm-hmm. makeup to like, look, was the stage show like, you know, we're, we want a union contract. And mm-hmm. then, and then it, that back extended to the editors. That was the first union show I worked on was Project Runway um, back in 2010, I think. Okay. Um, so 2010, Survivor premiered 2000. So again, we're looking at 10 years it took to get to that. And then again, that was still an anomaly. And it, it, it blows my mind every time I can say, Project Runway is a show on Bravo. It is a competition reality show that is incredibly successful. It is covered under a union contract and has been since 2009, 8 something. 
Mm-hmm. Top Chef is a very high profile competition reality show on Bravo has never been under a union contract. Wow. Top Chef is a show about cooking. It's not under a union contract. Master Chef is a show about cooking and it is under a union contract. Desperate, um, not Desperate Housewives, um, 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 the Housewives, real, the Real Housewives. Real Housewives, yeah. None of those are union contracts on Bravo. Married to Medicine, a show about housewives on Bravo, is a union show. It's the only one. But it's also on Bravo, which also airs Top Chef, which isn't union. So it's mm-hmm. like there is no reason why a show cannot be under a union contract unless the, the, you have to ask for it. And you it's have scary. That. Yeah. Um, it is it, it is not fun. It is terrifying, and especially in this climate where there isn't a lot of work. It's, mm-hmm. it's People are just happy to have the jobs, which is what the producers count on. Right. So I you genu- you've, you've personally been a part of two shows that have flipped to union contracts while you were working well, I w- for the I, I had I I was a, you, you sign a it's, you, um, conversations are had privately mm-hmm. once once the guild gets a sense that there is enough of a majority of the crew that wants a union contract you sign a card, it's, uh, you physically sign it. And then those go into a little lockbox. And then the union steps up to the production company and says, hi, your editors and assistant editors and loggers would like a union contract. Or the majority of them would. And the production company says, we don't believe you. And then you hire a third company, a, a, a neutral party, a signatory. Mm-hmm. And the union says, here's a little lockbox of signed cards. And they can go through and look and go, yep, these people all work for that company and they, they report back to the production company. It's like, yep, you got a majority of employees that want a union contract that way. The, the, in theory, the theory behind that is that the producers never actually know the names Mm -hmm. of who signed the cards or not. So there's, there's a, that's the one little bit of a non um, uh, protection you can get because people are afraid of like, Oh, I don't want my boss to know that I did this or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's and then they the production company either goes well you still can't have one um and then you go on strike or mm-hmm. what what cbs did like with amazing race when they when they asked for a contract this fall um they said we would like a union contract and they went okay that's great so <laughs> top, so 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 for for survivor and for swamp people did you have did the did you have to go on strike to win that union contract Swamp People was the first one, and that was a four-day strike, um, and it was incredible because, like, there really hadn't been a strike like that ever, and, like, to see, you know, like, we had, you know, 100 people on the picket line uh, in front of the production, it was incredible, and so we were out for four days, and then we got the contract, and what was even incredible, more incredible at that time was, it, this was February of 2014, but we had been on the show since, like, September, October, and they back-timed all our hours. Wow. So we got all those extra contributions in uh, healthcare hours and pension and whatnot. Uh, Survivor, um, we, we walked, we walked, we gave notice, I think on a Wednesday, we didn't hear anything for 24 hours. Normally we would have just immediately walked, but because there was like a long standing relationship between, I was brought in in a very weird, it's, I always, 
I was very, um, a little embarrassed not to say that I was a survivor editor because I'm very proud of that, but I literally only worked out a very, very short window and it mm. happened to be when they flipped. So I'm glad I could contribute. Yeah. But these are, but these are editors who had been, were season 29. These are editors had been on since day one of Survivor. So there's obviously a relationship there. So on Survivor, they gave notice, didn't hear anything, waited a day. Then we stepped away and we, we walked, we left the building. Um, and then again, CBS came back and said, uh, Survivor is a very important property to CBS. Uh, we promised to negotiate in good faith if the editors would please go back to work. And we said, sure. And we went back to work. And so we were out for like half a day. And I think we got paid for it too. But, um, and then we were back to work. And then they, it took them about a week to hammer out the details. And we worked during that time. But they got the contract and they've been, you know, under contract wow. since, you know, season 29. That was uh, San Juan del Sur. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, all kudos to those guys, because again, it, it is hard to, to, you, you've been with these people for literally 15 years and mm-hmm. to say, I'm not appreciative of this amazing job or this amazing career, but also I'd like to have health insurance. I'd like to right. have a pension. Like, I know you like me, but you're not going to pay for me when I retire. So, um, you know, it's, it's complicated. It is complicated. Could you talk a little bit about what it's like to get to the point where you and your fellow workers are ready to take that leap and sign that, uh, you know, sign that card? Um, you know, what, what, what some of the effort in just having these conversations and getting people on board, because we're in a moment right now, Molly, we've talked about this on the show before, where there's a relatively high approval of unions and organized labor in our country, but that hasn't always been the case. And um, for there's a lot of uh, personal risk that workers take on when they get involved in standing up to employers and starting these fights. So what what's it like to start to have these conversations and to get people to the point where they're willing to take a stand in solidarity against an employer? I'm I'm very I'm very lucky in that I, I've been through this before. I'm a very, I like to talk. I'm a very gregarious social person. So this is not hard for me. Um, and so I think anyone that is considering this, just start small. You just have to have like the small one-on-one conversations with an editor and, and whether that is, you know, you, your chat and it's, and it's, it's much harder for, um, for us nowadays, because a lot of us are working from home. So we're not even able to like go out to lunch and like, Hey, would it be be cool if this was union? Um, What happens usually is you just kind of have like these small conversations of like, you know, Hey, you know, Oh yeah, we worked on that other show and and you already know like this person's in the union or not. So you kind of already have like a lay of the land of like, okay, who's kind of union sympathetic. We have organizers at the union that you can, contact and say, Hey, I just started working on this show. I, I'm thinking maybe this might be a good um, show to, 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 to flip or ask for a union contract. So then the organizers will say, well, can you get us a, a crew list and, and uh, who's actually working on the show? And, you know, the, the organizers will work with you and go like, okay, well, this person's in the union, this person's not like this, this is if you don't know anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's tough. I mean, hopefully it is that, you know, at least one other person and you can, or you talk to other people, you know, and say, Hey, do you, do you know any of these people? Um, and you just have to start these conversations small, like, um, especially 
the hardest shows to flip are the ones where they treat you really well because mm -hmm. like you don't really have an incentive. The shows where you're you're working, you know, seven days a week, 16 hour shifts and, you know, it's still not good enough. Those are easier to have those conversations about because you're all like, this isn't fair. They shouldn't work mm -hmm. like this. But, um, you know, if you're working eight hours a day and, you know, clocking out early on Fridays and, you know, you may not want to rock the boat because they may then say, oh, well, okay, you want a union contract? We, we have to pay you for 50 hours. Well, we're going to work you for 50 hours. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that's usually you just, you have, you, you, I'm a very engaged person. So I'm always constantly kind of looking at shows and like, oh, who do I know? And mm -hmm. I know they worked on this show or they've, they've been to union meetings or I've talked to them at mixers. So I know that they at least are union active. Um, you know, if you're not even in the union, you know, th again, there's there's all kinds of uh, literature and information on the Editors Guild website of like, would you like to join? Do you have, mm -hmm. you know, there's different drop down boxes or please contact us or do you have questions? And they're all really amazing individuals uh, at the Guild offices that are happy to answer questions. Because, again, we, we all we all want people to have union protections, mm -hmm. um, but we can't a union can't just march in and say, you have to do this. It yeah. has to come from the the workers. It's so interesting. Like, I wonder what, if you, if you have any thoughts about what would it take for like Bravo to become like a network where they say all of our shows are going to have union contracts or what would it take for, you know, a kind of larger industry level shift it's it would, it has to come from the workers. It's mm -hmm. never going to be a Bravo network executive saying, you know what we should do? <laughs> yeah. We should give everybody union. It, it's never going to do that. It, I mean, what would it take? I would, I would love it for, um, I, I mean, it's part of the reason why I believe amazing race finally took the time to do it now because they really were in an incredibly strong leverage position because CBS didn't have doesn't have another show. They can't pull, um, you know, yeah. they don't have any scripted stuff to content to. So, if the they 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 strategically asked for the contract the day that it premiered because they couldn't then like maybe swap out an, another episode or another show or anything like it's already you know committed. So, um, yeah, I mean, Network Executive is never going to do that. They're just not. Uh, right. I mean. If, if I would be more than happy to eat my words on that, some please prove me wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but it again, it has to come from people talking to each other, talking to their colleagues, talking to um, you know call sheet members. Even if you don't know them, I, I just just trying to find out. Like I would love it if like all the housewives flipped or you know, mm -hmm. but 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 it, it it's it's not going to come from. Um, I'm repeating myself at this point, so you know. Yeah, what yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned that uh, the Amazing Race was able to leverage their their position right now in the in the television landscape, and um, I I want to hear a little bit of your thoughts about this kind of uh, relationship between reality TV and what happens when the scripted guilds go on strike because you know in 2008 we saw the writers strike and um you know to some extent maybe this has given been given too much credit in our lore that you know the writers going on strike in 2008 really was this boon for reality tv um and you know now obviously in our fall 2023 lineups we have the strike 
proof uh television programming where uh, reality is featured heavily. We're getting longer cuts of our standard reality fare. Um, what is your thoughts in, you know, good and bad ways? How do the WJ and SAG-AFTRA strikes influence the world of reality television? Well, I mean, I I absolutely believe in 2008, it absolutely did contribute to mm. a boon in, in Unscripted. I mean, were there other factors? Absolutely. Was it the main factor? Maybe. Mm. Um, doesn't, doesn't, you know, and I honestly think that with that knowledge, as we were heading into the WGA and SAG negotiations, you know, producers knew these negotiated, they're scheduled every three years. It's not yeah. a surprise are coming up. The thing that I found most interesting is that everybody assumed that Unscripted was going to just go gangbusters once they went on strike. And it didn't. It, this was the driest season I have seen for Unscripted. Like, like I said, I have people that I have friends that haven't worked since last November, December, mm. because I truly believe the producers knew, oh, well, we can hardline SAG, we can hardline WGA and let's, because I do recall like after, you know, 2020, uh, you know, when the world ended, 2021 was a boon time for Unscripted. All of us were working like you could mm-hmm. not get an editor. And I really do believe that producers are like, let's get a lot of content now. Let's put it on the shelf. And then when the SAG strikes or WGA strikes potentially happen, we have all this content we can pull from. I mean, so it really has it. it, it they did use that as fodder for like let's generate all this content but it they did it in advance so we're all hurting which I don't know I don't know whether it was a smart move or not because it's made us realize like that they they you know they they they're they're definitely thinking you know multiple steps ahead but um show orders are shorter like you'll you know like you know reality shows are like eight episodes long maybe 10 mm-hmm. episodes long you know I, I don't know if you know back in back in the day you know a season of friends was 23 episodes yeah now, like a season of the good place is 12 episodes or you know everything's a uh, limited um series and now uh, i edited the second season of floor's lava there were 10 episodes they aired five of them in right. June 2022, and they aired five in the fall of 2022, and they call it season three. Mm-hmm. So they got two seasons, five episodes long for one production run of shooting everything. So I don't quite get their metrics of like how, whether they're just able to say, look, season three, it's fresh and hot, or they know how many, about how many episodes people will stream before they change you know, yeah. to a different platform. But I really do believe that they bankrolled, um, not bankrolled, stockpiled a, yeah. a ton of content. Um, so as far as your original question of like, how does the WGA strike affect us? I think it, it affected us even before it happened. Like, I think they knew it was coming. And so, like I said, they stockpiled all these shows. That's so interesting. Yeah. Didn't they shelf a season of The Amazing Race and then um, to air it air it later? Um that that's fascinating. I noticed that the floor of law is lava got broken up into two seasons because my kids watch that show. Of course so, they do. Uh, so I'm very familiar 
with it. Um, and, and it makes me wonder, like, you know, Netflix has obviously invested a lot in, um, in reality programming. A lot of, there's a lot of Netflix. Yeah. They have, is, there, that are, is it cake? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, yeah, yeah. They, Sorry, cut you off. Go ahead. No, and they and we talked we talked about this with uh, WGA and SAG AFTRA members, but just how much streaming has sort of disrupted, um, you know, their their industries. Um, do you feel that also happening uh, for uh, reality editing? Yeah, I mean, I just there's just so much content, which is great, but also I I I, I laugh. Like I remember probably like two years before the pandemic happened, I remember something like, oh, are you watching, you know, Game of Thrones? Or are you watching this or whatever? And I'm like, I just don't have time. And I swear to God, Hollywood could not produce anything for five years. Yeah. I still couldn't get caught up on everything that's out there. Right. Which, you know, careful what you wish for, but it's true. There's, there, you know, yeah, it sucks. That there's not new media being generated just because, you like what you like, but it's not like you can't go, well, let me watch this show, which I I've heard about, but I never got a chance to, Mm -hmm. I mean, the stuff still can be consumed, which is also scary because there's a less a need for new stuff because people aren't consuming as much. It's just so niche. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. And I think that the, that, um, I, I, I think that, the, that how that business model really works for streamers is something that's still playing out because on the one hand, um, oh, it's there and I can watch it at some point. It does seem like subscribers and growth in subscribers is probably influenced more by the new hot content, right? It's like people will, sign on and finally say, okay, I will get Paramount Plus or I'm going to get Peacock because I've heard really good things about Poker Face or whatever, you know, and, and it, and it is, I love, I I love Natasha Leone, but it is is still driven by these water cooler shows. um, Exactly. And if you don't have those new things to push out, then people will end up leaving the platform and you won't get new, new subscribers. So I do think that like that, even though that maybe this model where we have so, so much and it's all living there in perpetuity on streamers, but now we know they're going to take, they're going to take it away. Right. They're going to take things away that uh, if we don't watch them, um, maybe, you know, maybe it's going to hurt their bottom line if they can't put out that new water cooler show. Yeah. I think, I mean, that, that is ultimately, you know, everybody wants the water cooler show, but again, there's so much content that's out there that, um, you just never know that happened. Like I worked on this really, really fun show last year called Love Trip Paris for um, for Freeform, and uh, I love the show. It was like it was like four American women bachelorettes in Paris dating, but uh, one was straight, one was gay, one was bi, one was trans, and they all lived in an apartment complex with eight suitors of various sexual uh, preferences and, mm-hmm. and identities. And then, then you would be evicted, or but they'd always bring in new people. So there were always eight suitors vying for these attentions. And it was very progressive and very multiculty and very uh-huh. inclusive and, 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 and very positive. And I loved it, and no one watched it. Like you probably haven't even heard of it. I so, have not. Yeah. So yeah. So so look up Love Trip Paris on. Uh, I think it, I think it was Freeform. I maybe even be getting the wrong platform, but it was it was lovely. But nobody saw it. So 
you know, if, if, a, if, a, if a tree falls in the woods and there's right, no streaming right. numbers to support it, did it happen? And that's been and that's been a frustration of creators, um, uh, you know, across different uh, professions that I've talked to is that, you know, it's in this landscape where there's so, so much, um, you don't even see studios invest in promoting the good work that you do. And I've heard, you know, I've heard some, uh, you know, guild members say, um, well, if it's more expensive, if, if we have to pay more in residuals for your work, what if that, what if we end up creating less content? Cause isn't it great that there's so many more opportunities for jobs and mostly what I've heard back from workers is that that's a trade-off that they're willing to make if their labor is compensated fairly and if they have more faith that the work that they do is going to get promoted and is going to reach its audience. So I'm sorry, make sure I, I heard that correctly. So that the the, the sentiment is, is that uh, workers are willing to have less chance for fewer jobs opportunities. Yeah. If they are compensated. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, honestly, like I, I am able to speak from a position of privilege in that I know I'm very well respected in my field. And even though, you know, I have no idea what this industry is going to look like in five, 10, 15 years, but you know, I intend to still be around. Um, I, it breaks my heart. I do not know how someone starting out in this industry, I get people asking me all the time for advice. And I'm like, any advice I have for you doesn't apply because how I got into the industry mm. doesn't really apply anymore. And, and especially for post-production where you're working at home, you don't even have the opportunity to, to go in and meet and mentor and talk. Um, I mean, I have um, through uh, American cinema editors, ACE, uh, they have an amazing internship program. Any, anyone who happens to be listening to this, that is interested in editing, it's in college check out the American Cinema Editors Internship Program. They, it's usually in the spring that you have to submit. But it is an incredible opportunity for people. And so I've had people in my own home that come and just hang out with me for the day just to, so they can see what I do. Normally it would be in an office, but since that's not an option, mm -hmm. you know, they, they come here and they can see me, you know, have Zoom meetings and go, how I get notes delivered and how I address them and, you know, things like that. But, but that's a privileged, again, position for um, someone that happened to be in that program. Um, and that's you know, usually afforded to a recent college graduate as opposed to you know, someone who maybe later in life decided mm -hmm. to transition into um, post-production. A very, very good friend of mine and also a fierce uh, union advocate who's uh, on the board with me, Mary DeChambres, um, she's an Emmy award-winning uh, editor that taught uh, art in Texas in high schools for 10 years before she ever got into editing and she took a chance and decided to do it and is doing yeah just, just fine and dandy thank you um that that's amazing i mean one of the reasons that uh organized labor is important and i've heard this from a lot of the different people we've gotten to speak to in this series is that you know jobs need to be good fair livings or else they're only going to be available to the most privileged people who can afford to do that work. So, you know, this idea that, um, you know, we, especially with the SAG strike, some of, you see a little bit of social media backlash or, you know, why do these big stars need more money? And the reason that, you know, the reason that SAG is on strike is before the vast majority of that union, which is very working class, a lot of people making below poverty 
wages. In order for this to be a viable career for people to even consider, and I've heard this from writers, I've heard this from people who work in other areas of production, it, it needs it needs to be a real living. It needs to be an option for people who have families, who have medical conditions that they need to have insurance coverage. Like it, you know, this needs yeah. to be a viable living, or else we're it's not like going to have those voices at the table to share different kinds of stories. Thousand percent. This is not a hobby. This is a job. Like, you know, I I can take on a passion project and edit a documentary about a subject I care deeply about, but that isn't going to pay my bills. Like this is a job and a career and I'm good at it and I deserve to be fairly compensated for it. And, you know, the nature of the business, like I don't have a single employer that mm-hmm. pays for my health care or or I have a way to invest in a pension. So the union exists as a facilitator of that. And I think it's great. Um, and I, I want more people to have it. I want post supers. I want more unscripted. I want more jobs in unscripted, mm-hmm. whether they're, they're, you know, um, you know, it, 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 but again, like it grew up so fast and, you know, Hollywood is a, you know, old town. I mean, it's been around for 120 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so things don't like to change and it's never been about like making Hollywood doesn't exist because they want to make people's lives better because they want the awards, they want the money or Mm -hmm. whatever that is. Um, So it's up to unions to exist, to protect people. And like, yeah, the, 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 the argument for, for AI, when uh, was it like they, they, they want the right, they'll hire an actor for one day, they can scan their likeness and use it in perpetuity. Like, why would I work for one day to, completely eliminate a job for the rest of my life mm-hmm. like I just I mean I yeah it ha- I, I, I agree like it does have to be viable I mean I, I I make a very good living but even I I have a range of um, weekly rates that I'm willing to accept and that rate hasn't really varied much in the past eight years and this past year was really kind of the first time I like, you know, my, my husband and I are middle-class and we live very comfortably. Um, and, you know, we, we go on vacations and, and, and we treat ourselves things, but we don't have a lot of expenses. Mm-hmm. And then I just noticed more and more, like we're dipping more into our savings for when like, Oh, a, a, we had to replace the fence or a sewer line burst or whatever. And I'm like, why is it so much harder? It's because cost of living has just continued to go up. And yeah. even though I make a really good living, I really haven't changed my level of income for the past six to eight years. And so, you know, I'm technically making less. Right. Um, And I don't see me in this particular work economy going into my next job saying, hey, can I bump my rate by, you know, 10% because, you know, I really haven't asked for a raise in 10 years. So I want to, you know, play catch up. And there's another thing too is with Unscripted, a lot of times you'll hear like in the contract language, like we're fighting for like, you know, 3% or 5% or whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever increase. The cost That's of the, living wage increases. That only applies to the minimum. Most editors in Unscripted make above scale. So none of that affects us. We still are sitting mm. at kind of where, where the market will bear, <clears throat> but that market hasn't changed very much in the past, you know, five, 10 years. I mean, in five years, let's say. Um, so it, yeah, so when you hear about these like increases, those are just for minimums. They're, they don't, mm-hmm. they, they're just mm-hmm. not universally applied across the board. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, and so it's, it really just highlights all of the reasons that union protections are 
so important. Um, cost of living, wage increases, fair working hours that, you know, maintain safety, mental health, all of that, the ability to pay in for pension and healthcare benefits, which are not, you know, offered by employers like they are in other industries, they have to be offered by unions. And we've talked about how many workers are left out in the current landscape. Um, it's so important, your activism, Molly, and what you've been doing. Um, I saw that you have been involved in this um, Workers Alliance. I'm looking for the name right now. Unscripted Workers Alliance. Unscripted Workers Alliance. Yeah. Could you just perhaps uh, as we wrap up, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about what that involves. Yeah. So again, I'm on the, the board of directors for the Editors Guild, and there are roughly 50 seats on the board. And uh, at the moment, three of us are unscripted, uh, working unscripted. So it's for the number of members that are in the guild that work in unscripted, we really, we, we really need more representation on the mm. board. But at the moment, there's three of us. Um, uh, unscripted assistant editor uh, named Tim reached out to me and said, can we like put together like a, like a work group or just like a little, you know, uh, you know, for, for unscripted. So it's an easier place. It's, it's basically, we, we, we created the unscripted workers Alliance and it's basically a way to kind of, we, we meet on Slack or we'll have a zoom meeting or we'll have in-person meetings a couple times a, a year where, especially now that I say we're working from home, we're able to talk per, for in, in front of uh, each other. We're able to say, Hey, are you guys noticing rates are going down or Hey, are you noticing that, sh uh, you know, Hey, ships jobs are being shipped overseas. Cause guess mm -hmm. what? If I can remote into next level chef from North Hollywood, an editor from Ireland can do the exact same mm -hmm. thing. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, it's like, there's a number of shows that were edited first season in the States that are now being edited overseas um, which is one of the reasons the union's not a big fan of work from home because they're not able to kind of supervise this stuff. Mm -hmm. But that's a that's a big issue we have. We've talked about getting the story producers in. So yeah, it's we're we're trying to figure out exactly if we're a work group, if we're a caucus, if we're a committee. But mainly, we are all union members who work in unscripted. That's the primary thing. And whether it's a it's a way just for people to raise. Um, issue is, is it's a more direct way for them to contact myself, my friend, Mary DeChambers or Austin Scott, the third board member um, of issues that they're having and that, cause we're their representatives. So th this is their way of interacting with us. Um, but yeah, we pulled it together and we were able to, we were able to, we were featured. Uh, I don't think I have it handy. Maybe I do. I don't know. Um, yeah. We were, we were featured in the editor's guild magazine. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and it, it, it's, it's been a really great thing, but we're also, kind of even though the union sanctioned us we don't have any budget or money so we have to kind of you know spit and bailing wire our meetings and <laughs> who's got a zoom account that we can go for longer than an hour and yeah that's yeah not great yeah. either but we're, we're we're trying to figure it out but the main thing is is that we wanted to find a, just an easier way for us all to talk to each other and uh, communicate with each other and you know varying levels of success but mm -hmm. um but it's better than not so um you know, it's like our union isn't perfect, but it's better than not having one. Right, right. Um, I think that that's a that's just a great kind of overall uh, take home and something that I've heard from a, a variety of people that I've talked to, both within entertainment and organizing and labor outside of the entertainment industry. Like the first step is to just talk 
to other people. Talk to your coworkers. This is what I'm struggling with. Are you struggling with this too? Sharing information because that's what, I mean, this is what collective bargaining is. The first part is the collective and identifying what the shared needs and concerns are and then using that collective power to put yourself in a position where you actually can, you know, go to the bosses and ask for something with some, with some greater likelihood of success. So I think that having those conversations, Molly, is a great place to start. It's really inspiring what you've managed to do in your organization, being part of two shows that flip, being a proud and involved union member. Um, thank you so much for joining today. And oh my gosh, thank you all about thank you. this. Yeah, thank you so much for giving a, a chance to amplify this side of it. Because again, unscripted is a really amazing uh, story tool, uh, way of telling stories, whether it's you know comedy or drama or documentary or whatever. And again, there's these are all stories that we all have been told for generations, but it's just a different format. And there's mm -hmm. no reason why we can't all have union protections when we yeah. tell them. Like if someone's willing to buy airtime or a subscriber for a streaming or you know buy a soap product or whatever it's a valuable commodity and we deserve to be compensated for our work it's it's so valuable and you're really i think we're preaching to the choir here i mean uh you know we're post-show recaps we cover the scripted side um, a lot of the listeners here are also part of the reality tv fandom community and when i think about how the dedication of that fandom has absolutely transformed lives. You know, it's it's starting with this product that you create that 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 a lot of labor goes into that all of these roles, these jobs that a lot of us have never even heard of. And, you know, the engagement of this fandom is absolutely huge. It's created it something. It really is. That's, a, you know, that's bigger than any one of these shows than any, uh, you know, any one of these roles. So it's really, it's really an amazing thing. and something that um, absolutely we want to support the workers that, uh, that enable that whole thing to happen. So thanks again, Molly. Thank you. Um, Thank you. How, how can people keep up with uh, anything you're doing, anything you want to plug, oh, social God, media, so, upcoming I, projects? I'm, I mean, you, oh, I'm so boring. Um, <laughs> uh, there's going to be a very fun, for anyone that likes MasterChef Junior, there is going to be a fun little short four episode uh, short kind of holiday MasterChef Junior that's coming in December, which is adorable. Um, and, um, I get, I guess it's been announced. Like I'm the, the show I'm currently editing is, um, surreal life two for MTV. So I'm not quite sure when that's coming out. Um, and then I'll be back on master chef season 14 in the spring. So that'll come out next summer. So I'm, again, I'm very privileged. I've, I've I actually have, I was off for about 10 weeks, which is a eternity for me. Um, but I'm just, I'm back to work now and I've pretty much got work lined up until June, which is, which is incredibly privileged. I know, but I'm also, uh, I also love working on MasterChef, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I don't really tweet. I'd follow, but I, okay. I'm, <laughs> you can follow If you want to see some like cool cocktail creations I do, you can find, you know, Molly Shock. I think, I think I'm Molly Shock on Instagram. Wow. Um, I love all things Halloween. And, um, mm -hmm. uh, as you can see in my haunted mansion office, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, reach out. I'll I, I'll try and answer questions. I'm 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 the one with the red hair, so you can find me pretty easy. Great, great. Thanks. And uh, you can uh, follow me uh, on Twitter, where I am, Dr. Amanda R. Um, and as always, 
If you have any topics you want us to cover on Strike Up the Conversation, send those to pushoverecap.com slash strikefaq to fill out our form. Um, All right. Thanks again, Molly. Bye-bye. You're so welcome. Thank you. 